So does your career energize you with life or does it drain you? Recent Gallup polls show that a whopping 70% of us feel disengaged in the workplace. There's just gotta be a better way. Welcome to our authentic careers where it is my job to uncover the ideas and strategies that can help you become better aligned with your career. I'm your host, Gert Sabar, and I interview people like you and me about the twists and turns in their career paths so that we can all achieve greater clarity, meaning, and fulfillment in ours. So when asked whether she ever thinks about this idea of purpose or mission, I loved how this week's guest starts off her answer. She says, it's a heavy burden to feel the need to make each day purposeful. That really struck me because it really is. And on this week's podcast, lawyer and advocate for the underserved and undervoiced Karen Gross offers us what I think is a very forthright conversation about the trials and tribulations of carving out her most authentic path. As she makes clear no uncertain terms, the not knowing what's coming next, that most basic aspect of her existence is not easy and frequently fear-inducing. But for Karen, as you'll soon hear, complacency is simply not an option and neither is a career that somehow lacks meaning or that otherwise fails to utilize her voice and strengths. So without further ado, please allow me to introduce you to Karen Gross. All right, so you ready to rock and roll? Sure. That's awesome. Well, firstly, thank you for agreeing to do this. My pleasure. Question number one for you, Karen. Do you ever think about the concept of purpose or mission or even what it is I'm meant to be doing here on this planet? All the time. Uh, it's a heavy burden to feel the need to make each day purposeful. Yep. And... Uh, <laughs> Um, I took a bit of a, I call it a walkabout or a sabbatical about a year and a half ago um, to gain some clarity and give myself some space to realign with my, you know, what I, what I want to be doing with my precious time on this earth and to kind of hone in on exactly that question. Yeah. Where are you netting out on that question? (laughs) Um, I, you know, I think I have a better flavor for the kind of lifestyle and like the way I want to set up my kind of work life balance. Yep. I have a clear, uh, sense of what my strengths are. Um, but in terms of, you know, nailing what my specific job in the world is should be uh-huh. that is a work in progress yeah yeah I mean I think I've I identify as an advocate um, I identify as a change agent and um, I think I have a clear sense of like I said what what I think I bring to the table and so mm-hmm. it's a matter of finding that right opportunity at the right time Great, Karen. Let's let's take that for a second. This idea of advocate or change agent. What would you say was sort of the first time, looking back, that you sort of identified yourself as such to yourself? 
to myself. Hmm. I've always had a strong sense for, you know, fairness and uh, never really felt scared to use my voice. I think sometimes finding the right words is difficult, but when I, you know, historically when I would see something that didn't feel right, I'd usually address it. And when I was in high school, I had this really uncomfortable situation happen um, where I, well, this is embarrassing, but I was a cheerleader and so that's the embarrassing part, having been a cheerleader. Got it. Um, but I was, and we, you know, we were kind of a ragtag crew. We didn't, we were not, we were far from professional. And all of a sudden, this lady um, started to kind of coach us. And some of the girls had met her through Young Life, which is kind of a Christian youth group. Yep. And her husband was the recruiter. And it was just, I thought it was bizarre that she started coming to our practices and, and basically came on as a coach for free. And what I noticed over time was that conversations started turning towards religion. And I think a corner was turned when before a practice or before a, a competition, she led us in prayer. And I just knew that wasn't right. And, it wasn't that I was a Jewish person and felt left out. It was that this is, we have the separation of church and state and this is like unconstitutional and being 17 and, and voicing my concern to my peers was not like the cool thing to do, but it was the right thing to do. And I, I remember just feeling ostracized after that for a little while and I think that has stuck with me as being someone who wanted to advocate on behalf of people who might, you know, not feel as comfortable using their voice. Yeah, a really interesting example. And, and Karen, where do you think that aspect of you comes from? I think growing up Jewish in um, a less uh, diverse community mm-hmm. um, made me more aware of how it might feel to be in the minority. And I also think that I'm, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I'm an empathic person. And that contributes to, I guess, my ability to feel for others. Can you tell the listeners what it is that you do today? Sure. Uh, Today I am practicing law, working with a project that uh, I believe in, it certainly has historic implications. It's um, a project designed to uh, petition President Obama um, for clemency on behalf of federal inmates who were sentenced in the 90s and in the early 2000s for um, drug violations and um, today, if they were sentenced, their sentence would be lower because the laws have changed. But in many cases, uh, the application of the new laws were not retroactive. So yep. these are primarily uh, minority men, to, generally speaking, um, who, you know, maybe they were feeding their own habit and were selling to uh, to sustain their own usage or maybe, you know, a lot. Their stories are sad. 
and um, there's there's threads of similarities between many of them, and it feels like important work at this time, and uh, I had practiced criminal defense in Austin and moved to D.C. because I wanted to work on criminal justice reform, and so uh, this has been a, an interesting uh, view yep. at some of the underbelly of of our society, and it helps me understand kind of the narratives of so many people who are sitting in prison for 20, 30 life sentences for uh, nonviolent drug offenses. So that's what I'm doing right now. Are you today in your career where you thought you would be when you were younger? I've never been really great at like the 10 year or the 20 year plan. Um, It gives me kind of like a stomach ache to think too far ahead. So, you know, when I was growing up, I don't think I had any idea where I might be. Um, I'm proud of the journey I've taken. I think my career path has been very mission-driven and value-driven and certainly have not taken the more, the most lucrative route, but um, I, I, no, I couldn't have predicted. I certainly couldn't have predicted I would be, you know, defending people ch- charged with crime. I, I couldn't have predicted I would be, I would have worked for the Anti-Defamation League doing kind of civil rights type work and... Um, yeah, it's been an interesting ride. Can you tell me when was the earliest you can remember having an idea of what you wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, you know, I think about it, and oh, there were not a lot of celebrity sightings in El Paso. <laughs> However, uh, when I was maybe in seventh grade, the mayor of El Paso, Susie Azar, was at um, State Line, which was a delicious restaurants um and i got so excited and wanted to go meet her and i'm pretty sure i asked for her autograph um so and then going to college i you know i i kind of i i got involved in university democrats and so meeting elected officials is always exciting and i kind of put them on i used to put them on a pedestal so that that might have been i mean i've i've been interested in politics and worked um, on campaigns and in, in, in city hall. And so that, that kind of, that could have been a little prescient, I suppose. Was that something that you then began to actively think about? Is it something that shaped your schooling in any way in high school, in college? And certainly in college. I mean, college for me was major in terms of like self identity and, um, opening my, my mind to the possibilities as college should be, I guess. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, college is when I declared my major and studied government and studied American history and kind of the journey and our democracy has taken. And that's, you know, I surrounded myself with other people who had um, interest in kind of civic issues 
So for me, college was really formative and putting me on a path. And right after college, I moved to D.C. and worked on a campaign, which was this great opportunity as a young person to dive in and have responsibility and kind of see the, the beginning of a, you know, the beginning of the journey for an elected official is, you know, their campaign and to be proximate to that process and to be around people who cared was really fulfilling to me. I'm about to go work for Hillary Clinton's campaign in Denver and I'm excited to kind of re-engage with that sense of camaraderie and to be around people who also care. Karen, thinking back as you're growing up, what would you say was the influence of your family on your decision-making process your career-making decisions, schooling decisions, how would you characterize that? Well, my family, we were not, they were not very political. There wasn't hot debated topics at the dinner table. Um, You know, I don't actually think that my family had a big impact on my career path. I mean, certainly on my values, you know, giving back and volunteering and just like the core of, being a compassionate, caring, engaged human. But um, I'm the youngest of three, and it was sort of like my brother was the smart one, and he excelled in academics. My sister was very creative and still is. Both of them are still very um, smart and creative. And then I was sort of, you know, cute, and I took dance, and and I had to kind of step outside of that the box that maybe I put myself in um, and it was in college when I realized, you know, I'm also smart because my friends are smart and why would these smart people be hanging out with me if I wasn't also uh-huh, smart? Right. But I, I sort of stepped out of it on my own. And so uh, found politics interesting and, um, and I, yeah, I, I don't know that my family was massively influential in this path I've taken. And so when you're growing up and you're starting to talk about politics and when you're excited about meeting the mayor, what is the feedback you're getting from your family? My enthusiasm for meeting the mayor when I was a little girl was probably greeted with like, oh, isn't that charming? Uh-huh. Um, it wasn't like, oh, maybe you should think about getting an internship with yep. the mayor in high school. Like that's, that's what I, I not in, you know, if I had a kid, I'd probably be nudging them in that direction. How can we make this, you know, um, a, a, a teachable moment kind of thing? Um, my hobbies were encouraged and, you know, I was involved in, in youth group and in leadership roles and that was certainly supported and I think that made my, my family proud. Yep. But there was also some disarray in my household um, in my in kind of the formative teenage years. So I don't know that, you know, I had as much focus and attention on, like, my own personal journey at that time than, you know, yep. some other kids might have. Got it. Um, let me jump around here for a second. On a scale of 0 to 10, where 0 is a total non-issue and 10 is a big, dark, gloomy shadow... How large a shadow would you say that financial considerations have had over your career path to date? 
would say like a three. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, I just, I'm an advocate for myself and when I'm negotiating salary and I, you know, I, I think that you, how somebody pays you is partially like how they value you. But, you know, I've always been attracted to nonprofit and government work. So I just, it's just who, you know, I, I, uh, I really want to believe in what I'm doing. And it just so happens that that usually leads me towards jobs where I'm not going to be banking. And obviously I'm okay with that. Um, it's not as hugely important as, as it might be for some others. Thinking back, Karen, on your career to date and life and thinking about your friends, family, and colleagues, and we talked about this before, but what kind of counsel have people consistently come up to you for? You know, we did talk about this before, and I think that people seek out my perspective on... Um, you know, when they're making big decisions, just helping talk it out and hear some, you know, I think people expect some level of common sense yep. from me, which, um, so, you know, whether it's, Hey, I'm thinking of making a job transition. What are your thoughts? Or I'm trying to figure out a strat, like I'm trying to figure out how strategy for navigating a difficult situation. What are your thoughts? What is it about you that they're seeing or what experiences have they had with you that's leading them to come to you for that? I know my friends and family think I'm brave and have made um, unconventional and sometimes scary choices because I was following my heart. And I think that there's, um, you know, they respect me for that. And I've also worked in a lot of different environments and navigated a lot of different kinds of situations. Um, so I think they, they uh, trust that I have some experience to, co- to like, rely on as yep. I offer them counsel. Um, I mean, as a lawyer, part of my job is to fix things. Um, and I think I've, I did that pretty, you know, when I was regularly defending people in court or helping them navigate situations maybe before they were actually charged, um, whether it was like helping with messaging or actually negotiating um, with this, with like a, a prosecutor, I think. I've done a pretty good job of helping fix scenarios. So maybe that's, that's, you know, partially why my friends might seek out my counsel. Looking back a little bit, what got you to apply to law school and become a lawyer in the first place? Yeah. So I was working at the time right after law school. I mean, right after college, I, I worked for a few years and, um, I ended up returning to Austin and, landed a sweet job at city hall working for a city council member who was a lawyer. And while he really didn't like the law practice, he loved law school. And I could see in our meetings with constituents and as we were navigating, you know, the, the challenges, um, 
that people were bringing to him, like I could see him filter out the nonsense or the the non-relevant information and hone in on the issue and then take the conversation forward. Like I then, you know, identify possible solutions forward. And I just thought that, man, if, if I could do that, that would be, I'd like to, I'd like to be in a position to have that skill set. So I think it's a testament to Brewster McCracken, the council member who I worked for, um, for like kind of illustrating for me how a lawyer's brain can work. And so you end up practicing as a defense attorney? Well, right after law school. So my path was wonky because in law school, I was certain I was going to practice in real estate and land use and kind of urban planning after having worked at the city. Um, and I had summer gigs with uh, a couple of firms. I did entitlement law and I worked for a development company and I really liked it. Um I liked that it was solution oriented and there was a project that they were building to get, you know, there was a something positive that was going to come out of the representation. But um, when I graduated from law school, it was 2009 and it was like a different world that we were living in um, from when I started. And so I shifted gears because real estate was not doing great anywhere, um, even in Austin. And I, I ended up hearing about a job with the Anti-Defamation League. They were hiring a community director, and I didn't know too much about ADL, but I, I learned quickly, and uh, I was so impressed with the community of people that were involved and certainly felt like the mission resonated very much with my core values. And it was great because it gave me a chance to exercise my kind of my entrepreneurial spirit and to help build something and bring people together and um, I think that was when I was really kind of given an opportunity to expand my wings sort of and, and like prove to myself and prove to the board and the community I was serving that I had a lot to offer. A couple more questions here, Karen. Thinking back or looking back, what would you say has been the biggest aggravation of your professional journey? Having to make money. <laughs> I guess I could say do good work and not have to worry about supporting myself. Yes. And then that would, it would just be more, I would be at peace. I would be at greater peace. I mean, I just, because I'm on my own and um, I, I do support myself. There's the worry that comes with making change and exploring, find, trying to find that deeper purpose work. Got it. And relatedly, are there any career decisions that today you would choose to undo or somehow redo? Well, you know, I would have taken Spanish in college. Uh-huh. Um, I think that would have, uh, I wish I wish I spoke Spanish. I hope to still learn Spanish. Um, I also, I probably would have chosen a different major. Um, I, I wish I had studied economics and uh, maybe some journalism and versus government and history. And so I think I would have retooled my um, experience in college a little bit. 
Got it. Um, as far as my actual like professional path, it's been a windy road, but I don't know that I would have chosen a different path than I'm on now. And though it's scary, it's scary to not know necessarily what's coming next. And But um, I choose that versus complacency. And how do you deal with the fear factor? I do yoga and I, um, when I'm feeling overwhelmed, I listen to podcasts. Yep. Um, sometimes I'll listen to podcasts as I'm going to sleep if I'm, if, if like I'm particularly feeling anxious. Um, on being is one of my favorites for kind of giving me peace of mind. Um, and I connect with people, you know, I, I think moving to DC was like cool for me to meet people from different walks of life who are doing different things with their lives living kind of less conventional narratives than what you might see in other, you know, smaller towns. I think DC is a place that attracts career oriented, committed and engaged people. And so I've enjoyed connecting with new people and just fostering and kind of trying to continue to cultivate relationships with friends and feeling the support there and being reminded that like, there's people who love me and should, should something go terribly wrong, like I'm not really all alone out there. On the flip side, Karen, are there any highlights that you'd tout from your journey so far? Yes. <laughs> I have lots of highlights. I mean, man, one of the most amazing professional experiences I've had was um, – doing an opening argument on a murder case that I really, you know, I, this kid was a 22 year old who made a reckless choice. And I, I believe that, you know, he was worthy of having his story told and I was able to help tell it. And that the verdict was favorable for us. And, to kind of be in that role and feel the sense of duty and import importance, I guess, yep. of the work I was doing was really something. And it was challenging and scary and new and uh and I really yeah, it was it was um, incredible professional experience. I've had that. I've had a few of those. And do those experiences validate for you that you're on the right path? Well, because I've taken turns off that particular path, um, I think they. I think what those kinds of experiences validate for me is um, having more confidence in my own abilities and getting a flavor for what I'm good at and also what you know maybe I'm not so good at so the you know the greatest challenges and the greatest joys of my my past have helped me you know discern my um my talents so last question here Karen 
knowing what you know today, how would you advise your younger self? You know, when I was in my, when I, you know, as a younger version of myself, I remember vividly just believing that if I work hard and I make a good impression on the people that I'm working with, things will, good things will come and the next opportunity will kind of come from, from my reputation. And I stand by that. I think it's true. I think, you know, we, it's why it's so hard for me to predict where will I be in 10 years because I just believe that one opportunity leads to the next. So I thought, I think my younger self was wise um, <laughs> in that regard. <laughs> and I guess I would just tell myself, um, it's okay if you don't have the answers and it's so hard to trust in the process. Um, and it's the hardest to do that when, when you're in the midst of a transition, but you've got a good head on your shoulders and you are going to be okay. Karen Gross. I also have, I have to remind myself of that like every day right now. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, really, really good talking to you. Really, really great conversation. Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you being so forthcoming about it. My pleasure. I'm honored to be a part of this this podcast, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Our Authentic Careers with me, your host, Gert Sabar. If you like what you just heard, I hope you'll let your family, friends, and colleagues know all about this little podcast. And since it's early days here at the OAC, your rating and especially your review of the show on iTunes would also be hugely helpful and very much appreciated. If you think you or someone you know would be a great guest, please, 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 please don't hesitate to reach out at ourauthenticcareers.com.